White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 512. 10, 9, 8, 7, ignition sequence started, all engines are started, we have ignition, 2, 1, 0, we have a liftoff, we have a liftoff and it's lighting up the area, it's just like daylight here at Kennedy Space Center, the second five is moving off the path, it is now clear to the top. And welcome to the White Rocket Podcast, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment in association with all of our great supporters by Patreon.com. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined for a comprehensive review of season two of everybody's favorite show, everybody's favorite Star Wars these days, season two of The Mandalorian. And I'm joined by my longtime co-hosts on this program, Alan J. Porter and Jim Yelton. Welcome back aboard, gentlemen. Yeah, I've right. been looking forward to this one. So. Oh, absolutely. Me too. It's been one of those things oh, where we've we've had Christmas and the other, ho- other holiday type stuff going on. And so we've kind of had to... Uh, Delay it a little bit and everything, but we got to uh, get past all that, and now it's time to talk about The Mandalorian. I'm very excited. There will be spoilers, so if you haven't watched Season 2 of The Mandalorian, only only stay tuned here if you don't mind uh, spoilage, because we will be um, talking about it. I've got a new setup today, and I'm making sure everything is working right. I, I brought my special uh, audio headset for this episode. <laughs> Doesn't quite go over the headphones though, but uh, but yes, I'm all set to do uh, to do the Mandalorian type uh, festivities today. So, b- before we get going, gentlemen, real quick, uh, Jim, what have you been up to since last we spoke? Uh, just watching the Mandalorian uh, nonstop. <laughs> uh, I, I took a brief pause to watch the new Wonder Woman movie the other night, but uh, other than that, like this this show, and, and I'll talk about this more as we get into it but i mean the one of the things i love about this show is i've been able to rewatch it so much in a short period of time and the the rewatchability factor it doesn't lessen is the more i watch it the more i want to watch it so uh, i've been watching it a lot that's the way season one was i watched uh season one all the way through you know week by week then I went back and watched it again, and then I waited until right before the new the new um, season started, and I watched it a third time. So I've seen the first season three times. I feel like any more than that, I might overdo it a little bit. But I'm burnout on it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm but, hungry now to go back and start at the beginning and get all sixteen in. So Alan, what have you been up to? I know one thing you've been up to, but tell the folks what we're up to. Well, we've been uh, working on a, a few projects together here, Van. I guess. Um, we uh, eventually finished our uh, James Bond lexicon manuscript for that book, and that's currently in production. So hopefully that'll be out, uh, and Van's doing some good design work on that too. So hopefully that'll be out uh, very soon. Spring, yeah, springtime next year. So that, that's exciting. It's multi-year project coming to end. Um, I've also got another book coming out, a more business-related book. that will be coming out January, February. So a lot going on on that side. Actually, one of the favorite things I've done in the last few months is work on a comic book with NASA, which has been oh wow. Very cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we're doing an educational comic book uh, for NASA, which should be, again, out first first half of next year. So I just got the artwork in a couple of days ago, and it's looking good. So. Awesome. Wow, man, that's so cool. 
Um, and then podcasting-wise, of course, we've been doing uh, our open wheel stuff this year, but with no actual racing, we uh, we switched <laughs> over to doing uh, reviews of uh, racing movies, which has been really fun. Uh, it has. Though I'm sure you still sure you still haven't forgiven me for that Sylvester Stallone movie. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we've reviewed a lot of movies over the last couple of three years, man. We've done all the Bond yeah. movies plus the um, plus all these racing yeah. movies. It's been a lot of fun. It has. So it has, uh, yeah. And uh, we're also uh, I've been working on putting together a, a Beatles podcast, which hopefully we'll be rolling out on the White Rocket mm-hmm. Network uh, fairly soon. Absolutely, so, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and just just so you guys don't feel like it's wasted effort, like and, and since you both are here, I can uh, praise you both at the same time like those racing reviews that you've been doing of all the racing movies like i love those uh even the sylvester stallone one was was not a bad <laughs> review to through. as long as we can be entertaining that's the main thing so right I, i'm watching yeah. driven and i'm just like damn you alan <laughs> <laughs> you knew this was bad <laughs> Well, all right. Let's we're we're on a timetable today because I have another show coming up at two thirty. Which, by the way, those that are um, are going to look for it in the feed. It's not going to be on live video like this one, but it will be. It'll it'll be uh, coming up the next day or so. It is John Ringer and my fifth anniversary of doing the Lord of the Rings trivia. So I got some. In, uh, we we go through the the trivia game, uh, the, the 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 trivial pursuit game. It's, it's pretty fun. So look for that in the feed coming up after this one. Now, let's get into it. Um, again, spoiler warning. Just t- tune out now if you haven't watched it and you don't want any spoilers because I know there's still people. There's still people on the internets out there that are fussing about if you mention a certain dude in greenish armor. <laughs> oh, my goodness. How could, you know. So let's um, you know tune out now if you don't want to hear spoilers. We're going to go kind of episode by episode, hit some highlights, do some analysis. But first up, all right, Alan, I'm going to start with you this time. Um, what I want, to, I want you to tell me three things. Just kind of an overall, what do you think of this season, maybe compared to your expectations, compared to season one? And then tell me your favorite and least favorite thing, and then I'm going to get Jim's. Um. I was a little worried going into this one because I enjoyed season one so much and I was yeah. worried that they wouldn't carry on with the Western stuff. And I started hearing rumors of some of the self-referential stuff that was going to come in. And I thought, oh, is it veering away from the, you know, the, the Western roots? Yeah, I, I hate the word fan service. Um, but, uh, I, but it didn't. Um, it, it knocked it out of the pot. It was a little slow to start. I must admit, first three of maybe three episodes, I was thinking, when's it going to pick up? But boy, when it picked up, it picked up in a big way. Um, by, by the end of the season, I was not tired. So by, I haven't actually rewatched it yet. So uh, I'm going to definitely sit down and do that. Um, you know, every Friday, we, we'd save Dis- Star Trek Discovery, my wife and I, so we wouldn't watch that on Thursday. So Friday night was Disco and Mando. Um, that was our Friday evenings. Uh, and now Mandalorian's finished and Discovery hasn't. We're probably still going to do that. We're probably going to just rewatch Mandalorian and keep our Friday nights going. So uh, yeah, loved it. Um, great season i think they actually it actually went beyond season season one season one was great but i think in the end season two um just went to another level um favorite moment i'm gonna actually jump right to the end i actually think my favorite moment was that line uttered by oh a single single x-wing was saved yay um i thought that was just a great throwaway line um least favorite moment um we'll talk about it but when they blew the razor crest up that's I know that was your Boba Fett episode, and you were probably screaming at Boba Fett. But when they blew that beautiful craft up, it, 
I screamed at this. You know, you know, I'm a I'm a vehicles geek. I love my spaceships. When they blew that wonderful little craft up, I I screamed at the TV. <laughs> well, I was gonna say <laughs> that had to be appealing to you because I know your love for like motor vehicles and not just sleek ones, but like engines and all that and the razor crest yeah. it's like a dragster right it's like a yeah it, it's not like a little you know uh japanese motorcycle it's like a big 1950s you know chevy or mercedes yeah it's a hot rod i mean it's a hot rod he pulls together and builds yeah and, yeah so yeah, that had yeah, to yeah that had to, yeah absolutely yeah yeah all right yeah. so jim overall kind of take on the season and then like favorite and least favorite moment yeah i mean i i kind of felt the same way alan did that um i i was nervous going into this because of how much i liked season one and how much it just knocked it out of the park there there were you know a, a couple of episodes in season one that i mean like like with any tv show you know there's gonna be an episode or two throughout the course of a season that don't measure up to some of the better episodes but i felt consistently from beginning to end, the quality was there for season one. Um, it, it seemed like they knew what they were doing. They had a good direction for the plot. They nailed the characters. Everything that we love about Star Wars, they got right with with the show from the get-go. And so I was nervous that once we got into season two and it became much more uh, plot-heavy and you got more into what was going on with Mando, what was going on with the child and what their adventure was going to take them on. I was worried that they were going to have trouble sticking the landing eventually and having some payoff to this story. And, you know, I, I don't know that we're completely done with it. And we'll, we'll talk about that as we get to the end of season two, but I felt like at least with season two, uh, Favreau and Filoni and, and everybody working on the show sh is proving that they have a plan. They know what they're doing storytelling wise and that they're willing to pay off things um, early that we thought we were going to have to wait maybe a couple of more seasons down the road before we got to. Um, as far as favorite moment, um, you know, really, and, you know, we'll we'll get into more detail when we get to the final episode of the season. But um, with with Star Wars, I always look for things that make me feel like that kid that was in the movie theater in 1977 again. And it's been really hard the older I get to have those moments that just make you feel like a kid again. But they do happen. And it happened several times in season one. It happened again several times in season two, but to to get that final uh, whatever ten minutes of uh, the final episode of season two, where you see that solo X-wing fighter land on the ship in the hangar, and you see this cloaked figure get out and just start trashing <laughs> dark troopers left and right. I mean that that was something. I mean. We, you know, we'll talk about how long you've waited to see Boba Fett again. Uh, and, and I did too, but to see, <laughs> yeah, to see Luke Skywalker uh, being uh, Luke Skywalker Jedi Master at, at the peak of his form uh, was one of the coolest things that I've ever seen. 
And the whole time I'm just watching it going, how, why, how are they doing this? Like, how did they have the presence of mind to give us a Luke Skywalker moment in the midst of the story uh, at the end of a second season? And, and they didn't hold it for a series finale or, you know, four or five seasons in. Like, they're giving us really cool stuff early on, uh, which I liked. Um, as far as a low point for me, uh, there were a couple of the earlier episodes in the season where it, it seemed like, they, they didn't want to get to the meat of the story too early. And they knew that they had uh, nine hours of storytelling to fill and they had to get there. And so some of the adventure of the week stories early on weren't as good as the season one adventure of the week stories. I felt um, it, there, there was a little bit more filler this time around, but I mean, like you said earlier, I mean, once things got rolling and once we hit that, you know, one third halfway point of the season and the plot really kicked in. I mean, this show just started moving and, and was great. Uh, the back half was, was really good. I, uh, I think that probably uh, for me, the um, overall season deal was um, if this, if the second season had been, on exact par with the first season again. In other words, if if the second season had been exactly like the first with just different stories, you know, but otherwise same quality level, same scope, everything, I would have been 100% satisfied. That would have been fine. It would still be just the coolest thing ever. And then it took up a step. The first episode was about on par with the first season. And then it, you know, and then it took up a step and then it took up, and then I went, huh? And then it went, huh? And it just kept, it just escalated. And so, yeah, you know, it's like you're talking about Luke Skywalker at the end that, as you guys know, that wasn't my favorite moment of the season, but I tell you it, these guys in this little side show about a Mandalorian and a Yoda creature, right? This little side show, which, which has no right to be anything other than just a footnote in Star Wars history succeeded in in like 10 minutes of doing more with Luke Skywalker the way we want to see him than the whole rest of the franchise going back to 1983. How does nobody else get that except these guys doing this TV show? I will never... How can you have a property like Star Wars and it takes Jon Favreau and, and Dave Filoni doing this little side project to... To get Star Wars right, it's it it is both a tribute to them certainly, but it is also a massive indictment on everybody else involved in right. Star Wars. Oh, correct. Well, yeah. and, and you just made a good point, Van, because I think in the grand scheme of Disney and Lucasfilm and whatever Kathleen Kennedy's doing to run Lucasfilm as a company, um, the Mandalorian project was a side project. It was something that they could get on Disney plus right away and they could help sell Disney plus to the masses yep. by giving them a star Wars show, which from a corporate standpoint makes all the sense in the world to Favreau and Filoni. This is not a side project. And you can right. tell that with yeah. how much effort creatively they're putting into making this show as good as it is. Because they, they're they looking at this as 
this is their chance to make Star Wars. And even though it's opened the door for them to do other things in the Star Wars universe, I think both of those guys would have been perfectly happy mm-hmm. just doing this show mm-hmm. for Disney Plus as long as they're able to do it. But it's not a side project for them. And it's mm-hmm. something that actually mm-hmm. I think Dave Filoni himself has been working towards telling these stories ever since he started working on Clone Wars with Lucas way back when. And it's just now he gets an opportunity to tell these in a live action setting, which is really cool for him. I think so I think for me, one of the, the great things about this was if you put the two seasons together or the 16 chapters together, it takes us back to the heart of what Star Wars was, which was influenced by those Saturday morning 16-part movie serials, rather than it being about a big epic yeah. tentpole movie. It was serial storytelling, and that's what The Mandalorian went back to at its heart. And I think that's why it's so informed and so in tune with what Star Wars was at the beginning, which it's gone back to those roots. It's gone back to those references. I mean, you've got to look at it, the samurai movies, the, the heist movies, all the things that informed George Lucas's vision are also what informs The Mandalorian. And I think that's what makes it so much, instead of it going off and trying to be something completely different, um, it's, it's really got back to the root of what engaged us with Star Wars in the first place, and it's roots back in that original cinematic serial storytelling. So. Yeah, definitely. I guess I'll say real quick, my favorite and least favorite moments, my least favorite was probably Baby Yoda almost committing genocide on an entire race because he wanted a snack. It was funny, but I'm like, no, Baby Yoda. Um, and uh, I think my, I, I think that everybody would know my, my high point is was a gradual thing, which was slowly realizing, yes, they are bringing Boba Fett back. And then... Yes, he's going to get the armor, and then yes, he's going to hang around more than... It's not going to be like an episode. I kept thinking, they're going to tease him, and then they don't. They actually show him. They're like, okay, he's going to be on for one episode like the Marshal, you know, or, or like the, you know, whatever, the Fish Lady or whatever. Oh, no. No, they teamed up. And when I realized Mando is teaming up with both... <laughs> I was just like, this, this, this can't get any better. And then Luke shows up, so... All right, so let's dig around into the uh, in the meat of it a little bit here. Um, I always say that I felt from the beginning, and I want to see if you guys agree, I feel like, and I may be completely wrong, but honest to goodness, it always feels like this to me watching the show. I feel like um, Favreau, Filoni, somebody, they sat down with the first three Star Wars movies and a notebook, and they just hit play, and they just took notes. Desert, cow, you know, Western, Jawas, Land Crawler, uh, bo- uh, Bounty Hunters, um, you know, Jetpack. Uh, and they just kept, and, and this show just keeps checking off, checking off, checking off. And it's not, you know, they may only have five or six of those elements in one episode, but in the space of, a, in the space of two seasons, I feel like they've gone through half a notebook full of checking off bullet points. Does that come across to you guys? Alan, what does that, does that mean anything to you? Yeah, it does. Uh, like, like you said, I mean, it started off with the Western and you've got to look, look at this, you know, there's, there's the Western episode, then episode two is probably the taxi driver slash horror episode. We get the pirate episode. We get the heist episode. I mean, 
they'd pretty much gone through and looked at, you know, all those, like I said, all those genres that informed Star Wars in the beginning and then added the Star Wars stuff on it. For me, this season really threaded a fine line between a little bit of stunt casting, um, but stunt casting that plays within the Star Wars universe. Right. The cameos, the self-referential stuff, that could have gone completely, hitting those check marks could have gone completely the other way and have been so badly done, but it was done in, in service of the storytelling. Um, so it fit within that universe and it was driven by that universe, which I think really made it what made it so compelling. So yeah, I think they do have those notebooks and they've been checking things off, but they've been doing it in the right way when other properties completely miss that. And in fact, Star Wars itself completely missed that with the with the and last three movies. And that's you know, they were going through the checklist as well, but they did it in completely the wrong way, as opposed to Favreau and Filoni, who did it completely in the right way. So. That's a good point. Jim, any thoughts on that? Yeah, because I, I think when we're talking about the people that are working on the show, we're talking about people of our generation who saw these movies when they were younger and, and grew up in the generation that wanted to play in that sandbox. And we played in that sandbox in our backyards and our bedrooms with all the toys and the action figures and all of all the games and things like that. And while we were doing that, and I'm sure while John Favreau and Dave Filoni and, and the other writers and directors that work on the show, they were doing that and coming up with their own adventures and playing that what if game. Like, what if I could do Star Wars? What kind of things would I do? And, you know, we do that, too, with with other properties. You know, I mean, I guarantee you, like, Van has the the perfect 24-issue arc of the Avengers that he wants to write using those characters. Uh, you know, and and if you guys could sit down and write the perfect James Bond movie, you you know what those touchstones and hallmarks are that you need to have in that. And, you know, I've done it myself. And even with franchises or characters that I'm not a huge fan of, that I just, you know, Van, you and I just finished doing a Marvel wrap-up for the year, and we're all excited about Fantastic Four. Like, I'm not the biggest Fantastic Four fan in the world, right. but I know it makes a good Fantastic Four story yes. and, and the elements that need to be there. And I think that's what they're doing with The Mandalorian. Like, they know what Lucas tapped into as far as, you know, the, the pop culture touchstones that he used when he was creating Star Wars. And, you know, whether it was World War II movies and dogfights and, and lots of aerial things, or it was a more subtle Western motif, or, you know, people, uh, a men on a mission sort of a movie where they have to go and get into the unbreakable fortress and steal something. Those are you the know, best. Those are all things that are are not just Star Wars. I mean, they're they're in lots of different things that we all love, and these guys have figured out which things we need to make this a good Star Wars story. And you know, I I think they've approached it from the standpoint of we need to tell a good Star Wars story first, and you know, J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson. And, and Colin Trevorrow really, with, with the sequel stories, they were trying to tell their own version of a story that was set in the Star Wars universe, not necessarily a good Star Wars story, yeah. if, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. 
It does. So, good deal. Good stuff, guys. So, Chapter 9, The Marshal, with Cobb Vanth. I, I imagine he's somehow related to Vanth Dreadstar in some way. I don't know. Um, the, I had to mention, because even the summaries that are out there don't mention the very beginning of this episode, since it was kind of unrelated to anything else. But it had that great moment that they put out in the trailer where Mando's about to start fighting in that arena with the people around him. And so maybe Yoda reaches out and the little pram closes over. And I mean, that just got the whole thing off to a great start showing that, that we're still going to call him baby Yoda for now. Baby Yoda is still around. He's going to be around and he's going to do wacky fun baby Yoda things. And, and you could tell, especially in like the first third of the season, it felt like that they're leaning into that. We know a lot of you are watching this show because you like Baby Yoda. Basically, there's four people in my house. I watch for everything else. The other three all watch for Baby Yoda. The maddest they were all season was the episode we'll get to in a little bit where he didn't even appear. They're like, cancel the subscription, you know. So, though I thought it was a, a clever move, but we'll get to that. So, so my point is we start out with just kind of this, you know, it's there's going to be Baby Yoda antics. And this episode, I mean, it, get, it takes us back to Tatooine. We get the Boba Fett armor, and then a little bit more later, we get Sand People, the Tusken Raiders. Uh, we get the dragon, which we saw as the skeleton, I believe, in the first Star Wars movie. Um, and, of course, Timothy Oliphant, who is fantastic as any kind of a frontier lawman. We you know, love Deadwood. Having him in this role was perfect. So I, this was such a great kickoff of this season, I thought, because it was kind of a standalone episode. It didn't really have to go anywhere beyond that. It was, this was, you could call season two like seven side missions and a main plot, right? That's pretty much season two with seven side missions and a main plot. And this was a kind of a standalone side mission, but it was kind of a couple of things, but I thought a really effective beginning. So, all right, so Jim... Any, any, and we're going to zip along here. We've got eight episodes to talk about in a little bit less than an hour. So let's just be concise. What are our highlights you want to mention about the Marshall? So uh, I was really excited about seeing this episode um, just based on the fact that Timothy Oliphant was in it because <laughs> I love him in everything. Uh, he's great in Deadwood. He was great in Justified. And, and I think he was one of the, the stunt casting things that went right. Yeah. This season yeah. where, you know, what's great about the show is there's so many people that are Star Wars fans and and now uh, uh, that are actors and you you start to hear them say, well, now I've got a chance to be in Star Wars <laughs> for once. And they're jumping at that opportunity. And, and so it's cool when you see somebody like this in the show. And I actually liked because they they cast him in a role that you would assume he would play. And then the character was a little bit different than we've seen him play before because it wasn't like the, the very straightforward stoic lawman, although they wanted you to believe that that's what he was. It's true. Um, but, you, you know, you come to find out that he's not and that he's based his whole reputation on the fact that he has this armor that's not even his and he didn't even get it in, in a straightforward way, uh, which I liked because one of the things I was wondering – at the get-go was how did this guy get Boba Fett's armor? Yep. And as the story plays out and you find out how uh, it just made the whole episode work for me on a, a completely different level. Um, 
And and I like, you know, like you said, I mean, this was a bunch of missions leading up to kind of the end game of the season. But I think the difference with season two was with season one, it was a bunch of side missions throughout the year, but we didn't really know where it was going. At least in season two, from episode one through the end, mm-hmm. we knew mm-hmm. what the goal was. We knew what Mando was trying to accomplish. He just had to go on these various uh, journeys to get there. And every step along the way, there was like, oh, wait, you're not quite there yet. You have to go do this. And then he would go do something else. And it was like, oh, wait, you have to go to this planet now. And I liked that it was a little bit more plot driven in that way. And it just didn't seem like a bunch of random narratives thrown together for a season. Um, And I liked that he had a quest that he was trying to find an answer and, and find a place to put baby Yoda. Um, I like that. We saw the dragon, the, that whole back end of the episode was really cool. Um, seeing them try and, and slay this dragon was, was just awesome. Uh, especially for something like you said, that was a call back to uh, the very earliest part of star Wars. Yeah, that was a that was a, what do you call it a, a deep cut, <laughs> deep yeah. in the sand. So, Alan, uh, thoughts on the first episode? Anything in particular we need to talk about? Actually, we're going to talk about callbacks, and that I was one of the bits I completely geeked out about, and this is going to sound was the overhead shot of the Tuscan Raiders riding in single file. Yeah, and I just went. Some people always ride in single file to hide their numbers, and it's like that's how it works. And I was completely geeked out by that. I thought it was great, and it was just just a small touch. It was like one one shot in the whole in the whole episode. But it's like yeah. they again they understand Star Wars. They're going back to Star Wars. They you know they know the culture. <laughs> Check Checkbox. that box. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I loved the episode. I did not know Timothy Oliphant was in it. I knew nothing about the episode before I watched it. Um, it actually took me a while to realize who it was. Me too. Um, it was like it was one of those. Damn, I know that voice. Who is that guy? And then it clicked, and it was like, yeah, perfect casting. Um, I loved it. I loved the whole thing of the, the villagers. I mean, it was that magnificent seven type thing. The, the villagers getting together with you know other people to defeat defeat the big big bad. It was you know the, the stranger. It was the man with no name. I was. It was all the things that I love about sort of spaghetti westerns just rolled into to one episode. And as you said, it's as as, as Jim said, it set up the the quest the ongoing question I did in, in, in a really cool way. So, uh, and obviously it raised a lot of questions around Boba Fett's armor and how did he survive and how did this guy get it? And without realizing that that was actually going to set up the second half of the season. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I'm interested to rewatch it. I know you guys have rewatched it, but just going back and rewatching, knowing where it's going, are we, am I going to pick up other clues yeah. on, on a rewatch? Yeah. 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 So. And, and real quick, I mean, the, the other thing that I would say is that what this episode did as a season premiere for me was I was worried if they were going to learn the lessons that they learned correctly with season one. And this one episode in, in whatever 43 minutes or whatever the length is showed me that not only did they learn what they did, right, but they were going to double down on it Mm -hmm. and they were going to give us more of what we enjoyed about season one. And, and all of my worries about where the show was going went away. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got more uh, interesting ones yeah. to go. So let's get past the, chapter 10, The Passenger. This is Frog Lady episode. This is Baby Yoda tries to commit genocide on an entire race because <laughs> he wants a snack. 
Um, but that's okay. He's cute, so he gets away with stuff like that. This is also the one where we have spider aliens in the cave. Now, this was the... This, to me, was checking off the Millennium Falcon in the asteroid and the Minox checkbox. As soon as they go in there and land and they're walking around examining and looking at weird little alien things, I'm like, oh, there's Empire Strikes Back asteroid field. Check. Uh, but instead of like the whole thing trying to eat the Millennium Falcon as it comes out, they were being chased by giant spider things that are trying to eat them. So I guess the thing that really jumped out to me about this episode that was significant and would be more significant later on is that basically the, um, the rebels are now the Republic and they are like lawmen, law people in their X-wings. So X-wing pilots are now like cops, basically. And they get to do things like we're dropping charges against you because you did something nice and we have video of it or whatever. So it was interesting that, that we find out that the X-Wing pilots are like cops and they can like forgive Mando and let him go about his business, you know, without baby Yoda, like having to brainwash him or anything, tell him, no, he's not worth your trouble. Move along, move along. So, um, the passenger, any, anything, anything of note, uh, let's see, Jim, I guess, let me start with you this time. Anything of note about this episode we need to talk about? Well, this, this was when I started to wonder, well, are, are we going to get a bunch of filler episodes that don't live up to that season opener? Because, you know, while it was a good episode and, and while things happened, it, to me, this episode more than any other episode this season just screams filler to me. And it was like, we've, we've got seven good stories and we need something early on to kind of fill some time. Cause we can't get to Luke Skywalker just yet. So what are we going to do? And we're just going to send him on a mission to be a taxi driver and take somebody to another planet and have them get into trouble and, and have baby Yoda do something cute um, that I think actually backfired a little bit with them. Um, but it, it was an okay episode, but it, it wasn't anything more than that. Alan. Yeah. I think this was the weakest episode of the whole, uh, the whole season. Um, it was definitely a, we need to get Mando from Tatooine to the swamp moon in episode three. What you know, how can we get him from point A to point B and have a little adventure on the way? The X-Wing thing, I, I get the thing with them being the cops and stuff, but it didn't really ring true with me. And um, them coming in at the end, helping, it was just seemed way too coincidental that they knew the exact cave to go find them and turn up at the exact point that they needed to be there. Um, just going back to the Baby Yoda thing, um, the fact that the frog lady, lizard lady, whatever you want to call her, wasn't freaking out. I mean, she obviously wasn't counting the number of eggs and freaking out that they were losing it. It is, it, you know, Jill and I were talking about that. Is it like frog spawn that they just, you know, they lay a hundred knowing 10 will survive. So she wasn't that bothered about it. Um, but whatever, you're right. It did backfire on them as a, as a cute baby Yoda thing. But the other thing is we were talking earlier about, you know, if your family watch it for baby Yoda, that's mainly why Jill, I mean, she loves it anyway, but that's one of the main reasons. She got really frustrated by the first half of the season because Yoda wasn't doing things, or the baby Yoda wasn't doing things with the Force that he'd already exhibited in season one. So she's like, well, we know he can move things. Why is, why is he not helping them escape? He's just yeah. being passive. Um, and the first probably three or four episodes, he was just being passive and not doing stuff. And it's like, when's he going to do the cool stuff we've already seen him do? Um 
so for me, that was part of the reason that the first half also lagged. And this episode in particular is like, yeah, I understand how he triggered the situation, but there's things where he could have used the powers he'd already exhibited in a defensive way to help the situation out. It didn't sort of make sense in terms of the characters either. So I, for me, this was just, yeah, the low point of the season. I, I have thoughts about that. I, I think I could sum it up very briefly as just, I get the sense it was very, very difficult for him. He was new to it. It's awkward. Jim, do you have thoughts about that as to why Baby Yoda would not really use his powers? No, because it, it did seem odd to me that we didn't see any, any growth with the character uh, as far as how he was coping with these powers and how he was using them. I mean, we, we see it happen a lot in later episodes. So, you know, I, I was kind of confused like Alan was that we, we didn't see more of that early in the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, on to episode chapter 11, the heiress. And we didn't know at first who the heiress was, but I guess that would be Bo-Katan, right? That would mean her mm-hmm. relationship to Mandalore. It's all very confusing because they talk of Mandalore like it's a planet. They talk of Mandalore like it's a person. They talk of Mandalore like it's a lifestyle. They talk of Mandalore like it's a part of armor. And it, there's just so many different aspects to it that I get very confused about it. Um, but this one, we see Starbuck, Katie Sackhoff, showing up as Bo-Katan cries. I see, I haven't watched any of the cartoons or any uh, comics or books or anything like that. Everything I know about this comes from the movies or this series, really. Um, and so I had no idea who these people were supposed to be other than other Mandalorians who take their helmets off and don't seem to be that concerned about it. And that Bo-Katan has some lovely red LED earrings. Other than that, I really didn't, didn't know what the heck. My highlight of this episode was Titus Welliver, Bosch, Harry Bosch showing up as an Imperial commander, uh, which was really cool. Now it explains why he was tweeting a picture of his new Boba Fett tennis shoes earlier this year. Cause now I know where he got those from. And, um, and then I think really the only thing that comes from this episode, other than a cool battle on a an Imperial freighter. And we can talk by the way, about how stormtroopers have actually apparently regressed in formidability <laughs> from where they were in the first three movies. They've gotten there. They make Slee stack look formidable. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and clearly their armor is proof against mosquito bites, maybe. <laughs> but um, but the only the, the, the significant thing I think this one was that um, was that they established that relationship. We find out that Mando is basically that's Jin Jaren or however you pronounce his name, Jin Jaren. We find out that he is part of a religious sect of Mandalorians that never take their helmet off, much like the bandit never takes his hat off. And I can see some parallels there. Razor Crest, Black Trans Am. And then, um, and then otherwise, uh, we, this directs him to Ahsoka, who, again, I have no clue who that is, but whatever. So, all right, let's talk about, and mainly I mean you two, because I don't have a lot to say about this episode, other than Tyus Welliver, awesome. Alan, what can you tell us about Chapter 11 that we need to know or that you found was interesting or whatever? Well, like you, I actually have I've read a couple of the comics, but not deep into the comics, and I've never watched the um, the animated shows, but my daughter has, so I sort of picked up a little bit through osmosis. But I mainly geeked out because it was Katie Sackhoff when she took the helmet off because I'm a huge Katie Sackhoff fan, and for me that was the, the you know that was the fanboy bit was was the fact that she was in it. And again, I follow her on Twitter on Instagram, and it was like, oh, that makes sense of some of the things that she's been putting on. Instagram and stuff like that. So um, 
yeah, huge fan of hers. Loved the fact she was in it. It was afterwards I actually went back. There is actually an excellent YouTube video on the history of Mandalore, oh, okay. uh, like a 16-minute history of Mandalore. I went back and watched that, and it's like, oh, okay, I'm starting to connect the dots. Why is she after the, after the dark saber? Why was this episode called The Heiress? I'm starting to, okay, um, I get that. But the thing is, you could watch this without knowing that. Jill and I were talking about this actually yesterday. You could watch this series without knowing who all these other people are and their backstory, and it still worked, and it was still entertaining, and it was still relevant. Um, the fact that you, if you know the backstory, it adds an extra layer, but you don't need to know that to enjoy The Mandalorian and to enjoy these episodes and to get the fact that you said that, oh, here's another set of Mandalorians, but they took their helmet off. Why did they take their helmet off? Oh, there's two different sects of Mandalorian. Actually, it turns out there's loads of different sects of Mandalorians. Hmm. Um, but, you know, you could you could get that. So I enjoyed that. Um, it was good. It was a good pirate heist episode. It, you know, it was this was the pirate episode yeah. from, you know, literally, literally the pirates on the on the ships to the, the fact that the the Empire or the New Republic or whatever the the nascent New Republic referred to the Mandalorians as pirates, I thought was great. So uh, I loved the uh, the teaming up. And also, I think this thing of uh, Bo-Katan. Um, talk, um, I'll talk about it when we get to the end episode, but the thing of Bo-Katan making fun of Mandalorian uh, Mando because he is part of this strict sect, sect and he does things, because, he won't do things because of tradition, mm-hmm. sort of backfires and goes at 180 by the time we get to the, the last episode. So I, I love the fact that they set that up and then played it off in the last episode as well. So, yeah, um, and, and actually also the way, and again, this plays more in the last episode, the way that these Mandalorians fight and use their equipment was different than the way them mando does as well and um, so they clearly had a different background and a different training and stuff like that so uh, yeah i thought it was uh, this was actually one of my favorite episodes so um mainly because you know it made me go back and do the research and go look for youtubes on the history of mandalore mandalore and all, all that stuff to understand it so there you go jim your thoughts on the heiress so yeah i've i've dabbled in watching uh star wars rebels uh, over the years, I, I didn't really watch the Clone Wars that much, um, but so I knew a little bit going into this. Um, plus the fact that, like you guys pointed out, I mean, it's Katie Sackhoff, so how could I not uh, want to see her in Star Wars? And the the one thing that I loved about this episode was that it did kind of expand our knowledge of the Mandalorian culture. We got to know a little bit more about our lead character by finding out that he is part of this upbringing that was not mainstream Mandalore, that he was part of kind of like this separate sect. And they're the ones that believe all this crazy stuff versus the rest of the Mandalorians who are a little bit more open-minded about things. Um, I think that sets up him as a, a much more interesting character. Because we went into this thinking that he was going to be the ideal personification of what a Mandalorian should be. Um, because all we knew before that was what we had gotten with Boba Fett and some bits and pieces in Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. So we thought we were getting one thing with this character and we find out we're getting something completely different. And that he's much more of an outcast than we thought he was from the beginning of the show. And, and I also think this episode does a great job of setting up plot that's going to play out throughout the rest of the season and things that we didn't even consider 
as far as where the story was going to go. And I, I really liked that, especially, and we'll talk about this when we get to the final episode, like where they leave things at the end of season two and things that are set up for season three, the, the seeds of that were planted in this episode perfectly. Yeah. I also love with this episode when Katie Sackhoff mentions the Dark Saber, which hasn't been mentioned in the first two episodes. It's like, oh, this is tying back to that thing that we saw at the yeah. end of season one is actually important and it's probably going to play a bigger part, but they'd never mentioned it in the first two episodes. When we get into this one, it's like, oh, okay, we're starting to tie things back to, to season one. So I, I love that too. And yeah. what's great about it is that, you know, Filoni created the Dark Saber. In his Star Wars animated shows, and as kind of like the Star Wars version of Excalibur. I mean, that's really what it is. Yeah, it's and, the Mandalorian Excalibur, yeah. And, yeah. and like you guys said, um, it, it really does a good job of adding a, a separate layer to the show that if you haven't watched any of the animated stuff, they do a really good job of shorthanding the information to you as the audience so that you know what the importance is of the Darksaber and, and how it fits into Mandalorian culture so that when we do get to the end, it, it means something versus explaining all of that in the final episode. Yeah, I had no idea. I thought it was just this cool like reverse lightsaber thing that Moff Gideon had at the end of the first season. And then I saw a little talk about it in the off-season and I'm like, oh, so this is a thing that's been around longer than just something he pulled out because it was handy. So, okay. Well, that, and that made sense. All right. So, um, episode, well, check, episode chapter 12 is the siege. And, um, this is one I'm, I'm trying to, this is like the one that I'm having the hardest time, uh, remembering exactly. They, uh, oh, okay. So I, I, in my notes, I say Mando stops on Navarro and helps grief Karga and Cara Dune versus an Imperial base. Okay. Um, this is where they first see like the clones and the tanks and everything. Right. And is this, yeah. is this, this, is this, is this the one where, where, um, baby Yoda goes to school and steals the cookies and stuff, the blue cookies. Yes. I couldn't remember if it was this or when they show them later. Cause they, Mando hooks up with with Cara Dune twice, I think, in this season to to help do something, and this is the first time. And then he leaves her at the end of this one, where she has the badge the first time. And then when he comes back the second time, she's the marshal. So this is the one where yeah, she yeah. gets the badge at the end and is like, "Hmm, right. what would I do with this?" You know, so and you don't know. Okay, and and uh. <laughs> Grief, the name Grief Karga just cracks me up every time because it <laughs> it makes me think I'm sad about the second minute work album. Get it? <laughs> okay. Uh, but anyway, all right. So I don't have a lot of thought. I guess I like, yeah, okay. So this is one they go into that, it's like on a cliff or something. I've yeah. only watched them once, so it's not super, yeah. Okay, I like this one a lot because it had some good infiltration. It was like a World War II movie, kind of like a, it was kind of like an Alistair McLean story in a way, right? And so I like that about yeah. it. So, all right, Alan, tell us a little bit about this one and why it, what, what, it, what it did for you and why it matters and everything. That's actually interesting you said that because in my notes, I actually wrote the Guns of Navarone episode. Hey, there you go. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I, I mean, it, that's pretty much what it was. It was the it, sort of Guns of Navarone. I, I will say this is probably my second least favorite episode of, of the season. I, I enjoyed it, but uh, it's another one that maybe could have skipped because I think it, it 
slowed the story down rather than driving it forward. Um, I think it was mainly there for the reveal um, of the cloning and to introduce the cloning doctor who becomes important later on. So I, I think it was mainly there for that. Um, but I will say I, I did like the chase with the TIE fighters and the speeder bikes going off the cliff. And then um, I thought that was, that was pretty cool. Um, um, other than that, again, and then, at, as you said, at the end, Kara sort of gets the, the badge from the X-Wing pilot. And was he, was he that X-Wing pilot, one of the ones that was in the original trilogy, I think? There was something about him, but I'm not sure who. He, yeah. He, yeah, he has, there's something. He's connected to something, but I can't remember what it is. But other than that, yeah, I, I thought it was a fun heist, like I said, Guns of Navarone type, um, you know, thing. But I don't think it drove the overall story forward that much other than to plant a couple of specific plot points. So. It, isn't that funny, though, that they did a Guns of Navarone because Battlestar Galactica did a Guns of Navarone as well. And I think I like this one a little bit better, although the gun on Ice Planet Zero, which was kind of a combining of Ice Station Zebra and the Guns of Navarone, it was still pretty cool for Battlestar Galactica in 1978. Um, all right, so Jim, tell us about why we should care about the siege more than we do. I, I, I thought the action was cool. So. <laughs> it, it was cool. Um, you know, it, the fact that Carl Weathers is in a Star Wars anything is cool to me. Yeah. Uh, but I, this episode, um, and, and they did this a couple of times in season one as well, where they had to set up uh, allies for Mando. Because you know he's going to need help once you get to the end of the season and, and you have something bigger that needs to be accomplished, right? Like, he can't do all this stuff by himself. And this was one of those things that happened a couple of times last season, happens a couple of times this season, where he touches base with people from his past and helps them through something so that he then has a chip that he can cash in later on in the season and go back to them and say, hey, I need your help because I have to do this. And that's why they had to set up uh, Cara Dune being in a position to help him later on with this episode. And and that's all it was. And it, and they, But they do such a good job with it. And, you know, we were, we were talking earlier about uh, episode two this season where it's just basically a filler episode where they're on this ice planet being chased by spiders, but they did a great job of that. And, you know, even in the episodes that aren't the best, they're still really entertaining to watch. And, and I kind of felt that too. It was like, right from the beginning, I knew what we were getting with this episode. I knew it was just going to be, Hey, a group of people trying to break into this Imperial base, but they did a good job of giving us some plot that was going to play off later on down the road. And we learned a little bit more about baby Yoda and, and what's going on with him and why Moff Gideon wants him so bad. Uh, so it's, it's hard to say this was a bad episode because a lot happened in it. That's true. I mean, any, anytime you get something that plays off of guns of Navarone, it's, it's hard to say that it's bad. I mean, even when Galactic did it, it was good. Yeah, I mean, I, I said it was my sort of second least favorite, but it doesn't mean it was bad. I mean, you know, right. it's, <laughs> yeah, it was it was still highly enjoyable. Oh, so. yeah, one of the eight of this season. They're all right. We have to pause here for just a moment to thank the folks who keep shows like this on the air. 
for as little as a dollar a month, you can join the ranks of the folks who keep our shows going. Just go to patreon.com and search Plexico or White Rocket. Either one will get you there. Or just go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, and click on the link to become a patron. Here are the fine folks who are currently keeping our programs going, and you can join their ranks. They include Carl Von Drunker, Samuel Salvatore, Christopher Burleson, Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, Logan Chilton, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Tom Anderson, Willie Carden, Ann Kangian, A.U. Falling Up, Ben Bloodworth, Chris Stewart and Clinton Stewart, Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, James Greenwell, Joel Beckham, John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Nikki B, Phil Davis, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, Timothy, WDE Richie, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Alex Wynn, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, Cato the Barner, Chris Hilton, Chris Thrash, plus we have to thank Colby Butler, Danny Flack, Darius Benton, David Simpson, Di Bama, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Kenoy, uh, Kevin Mahan, Lane Middleton, Melissa Blackstone, Mike Finley, Algorithm, Papa Todd, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Shannon Butson, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Snowdog, Stephen Houston, Tim Pittman, Tony Perry, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos, Brandon Sisson, Brandon Smith, Chris Como, Darren Pyle, David Smiley, Donnie Reynolds, James Taylor, Jason Albrecht, John Stubbs, John Zavachin, Joey Miller, Joseph Iliff, Justin Bean, Lawrence Kane, Mark Squire, Matthew Flowers, Nick Vigicana, Nicholas Craig, Patrick Williams, and Paul Bankson, and finally Robert Drain, Robert O. Sammons, Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, Kenneth Britt Rains, Brant Rumble, Chris, plus our one-time and anonymous donors. We thank you all so much. You can join their ranks and be mentioned on the show as well as other benefits by just going to patreon.com and searching for Plexico or for White Rocket, or just go to www.plexico.net. All right, now let's get into the second half of Season 2 with Chapter 13, The Jedi. And I, you, you had to wonder who that's going to be. And again, I knew nothing about Ahsoka other than she kind of looks like the slave girl from Return of the Jedi. So apparently that's one of the races of aliens that that do things like become Jedi, which is awesome. So And, and, and I like the actress, of course. So... This one, this one has got. This is where the you know the second half of the season the the synopses get a lot more lengthy. I'm trying to be concise here, but let me run through it. So Mando Dinjarin is hired by the city magistrate of this city, where he's gone looking for the Jedi to to take Baby Yoda to, and the city magistrate says there's this person out here we need you to fight. Uh, that would be Ahsoka. I thought was an emperor of India, but what did I know? And he accepts as his payment a Beskar spear. Now, that's going to be very interesting, what we're going to find out about that. All right, he encounters Ahsoka. They fight and then team up because that's how it works. And this is where we learn that Baby Yoda's name is Floyd. No, not Floyd. His name (laughs) is Grogu. So you learn his name is Grogu and you deal with it whether you like it or not. And they, even in the next episode, there's a little bit where they he, he's like, Grogu? Hmm? 
Grogu? Right? He's just testing it to make sure she was telling the truth and not pulling his leg. Okay, so Mando and Ahsoka defeat the magistrate and her hired gun dude, who was a really pretty famous guy we'll get to. And we discover that the magistrate worked for Grand Admiral Thrawn. This is exciting to me because it's the first side reference I've gotten that I've gotten. I'm like, oh, I, I, I know who that is finally. They could have said Grand Admiral Joe, and I'd have been like, okay, sure. I'm looking forward to meeting him. But I know Thrawn. I read those three, uh, the three books. And, um, okay. And then finally we find out that Ahsoka cannot train Grogu. He's too bonded to Mando. Instead, he has again. We have to go on another quest to the Jedi Temple on Tython. All right, Jim. Um, chapter thirteen, the Jedi. This, there was a lot going on in this episode, even more than I really think we was. first realized at the time. So, walk us through what's significant here. You want to talk about? Yeah, because when when we all first watched it, uh, little did we know that you know a short time later they were going to announce 18 gazillion Star Wars shows were going to be coming to Disney Plus no and that Ahsoka was going to get her own show. Um, but it, it had the feeling of like those backdoor pilots that <laughs> TV used to do all the time where I, I, a random character would come into the show for yeah. one episode yeah. to be introduced so that the they could be spun off into their own series. And, and that's exactly what they did. Um, but... They, they also, um, unlike TV in the 70s and 80s when backdoor pilots were a thing, they actually used Ahsoka Tano to tell the Mandalorian story and made her uh, a supporting player in his story because it was more about him than it was her, even though, like you said, we got tantalizing things like her on this quest to find Grand Animal Thrawn, which was just great. Um, and then we get a really cool uh, guest appearance by Michael Bean as the hired gun on the opposite side. So you're like, Ooh, we're going to get a face off between uh, Michael Bean, and Brand, which was great. Um, and, and lots of, of plot points happened in this episode that, that made it really cool. And like you said, I mean, the fact that he gets this Beskar steel spear, you know, I knew it was important and I knew they weren't going to introduce it if he wasn't going to need it at some point down the road. We just didn't know what he was going to need it for. Um, but I, it was one of those cool moments where you're like, oh, that's important. I need to remember that. Jim, if, if we had known, well, you guys may have. I knew, I, I, I have been learning over the course of the two seasons that Beskar steel is very good against blasters, whereas stormtrooper mm -hmm. armor is made out of tissue paper. Okay, what I didn't know was that it actually you could fight against somebody with a lightsaber and not have it just lopped right off the first instant. If I had known going in this thing can block a lightsaber, I'd have been like, "Oh, he's fighting either a Jedi or right. a Jedi like, or it's going to use against the dark saber, you know, or something like that." But I didn't know that. So that was just kind of, to me, it was like, okay, he got a spear. Cool. Knowing Mando, he'll melt it down for a nice elbow pad or something, you know. But uh, but no, it really, yeah, it really did come in uh, handy. I should have known better. So 
and that's where I think, you know, we, we've touched on it in this conversation. Like the show's very good at making it accessible for people who don't know a lot of star Wars lore and also making it very enjoyable for people to watch who do know like every minute detail of the history of this universe. And it plays on both levels equally well. So that, like you said, I mean, for me, him getting that, I didn't know where the payoff was going to be or if it was even going to come in this season. But I knew in the back of my head, I was like, oh, he's going to fight somebody somewhere down the road Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he's going to need that. Yeah, that's right. Alan, thoughts on the Jedi? Well, actually, go back to the armor thing. I think if go back to the very early parts of the first season, wasn't the whole thing about him going on the bounty so he could get paid in Beskar and then have a special suit of armor because the regular Mandalorian armor didn't stand up that well. So, so I knew his his armor was like adamantium, but you know it was like the <laughs> unobtainium. It was you know yeah. whatever. It was it was special. I sort of got that. Um, Ahsoka, I knew because I've seen her in some of the comic books I've read. I knew she was a Jedi, so th- that was cool. Um, it's only in retrospect they're looking at oh yeah this was a backdoor pilot but it didn't feel like that i mean this was not like putting mork in happy days (laughs) Um, deep cut um so you know it was it was a it was a much more subtle one um like you when she she mentioned thought i'm like hang on a minute I thought that Disney had said none of that stuff counted. Why the hell is she talking about somebody from the continuation novels? But I've since found out he was actually also mentioned in one of the animated series oh. or was in one of the animated series. So my daughter told me that because I'm like, those novels don't count. She's like, ah, but he was in one of the shows. <laughs> so um, so does that make mean that it seems that that means that those are now canon? So I don't know how it all fits together, but it was really cool. I, I really love this. I'm, I'm a huge fan of, uh, Japanese samurai movies. This was almost a shot-for-shot shot homage to Kurosawa's Yojimbo mm-hmm. movie. I, I mean, literally, parts of it were literal shot-for-shot yeah. shot remakes of that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a great samurai episode. Um, I loved it just for that. Um, great characters. Um, and you said, yeah, Michael Bean was one I actually spotted straight away and knew who it was uh, in the stunt casting. But again, stunt casting that really works really well. So... Uh, yeah, I love this episode. It's probably up there with with the last episode is probably my second favorite. I one think of the season. I probably liked it the least of everybody, just because I didn't particularly care for Ahsoka, and I'm not really that excited about her show. I'll watch it, but um, and I didn't really like the villains either. So, but we did get to find out Baby Yoda's name, so that was that. Um, we got, let's see, we've got th- the big three here to get through. So chapter 14 is the tragedy. Um, and this is basically Grogu, but baby Yoda meditates while all kind of stuff goes to hell around him. So Alan thoughts on the tragedy. Um, when I first saw slave one go across the screen in the background and I'm like, is that what I think I just saw? <laughs> it's the big one it's the big and I went one. to jail that's Slave 1 that's Boba Fett's ship and then of course he turns out and I'm like whoa I'm like did he just say it was Boba Fett yeah um, didn't see that coming thought it was excellent um, I didn't again thinking back in retrospect okay the clues were, were there earlier um, but I didn't really pick up on it so I loved that um, 
Love the fact that we actually got uh, the return of the always awesome Mignal Wen. Um, yes. I love her in Agents love of S.H.I.E.L.D. Me. and even Mulan and everything else she's done. I think she's great. Um, and the fact she's going to be in the, the series going forward, the, the Boba Fett series, is awesome. Um, so for me, it was more her return than Boba Fett's return. I don't get the Boba Fett stuff. Sorry, Van. It's just like... So we eject, <laughs> we eject Alan from the broadcast and continue. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never never really understood it. Um, but uh, even have, having met Jeremy Bullock a couple of times and talked to him, he's a very nice guy. But I don't know. Or was. God yeah. rest his soul. Um, I, I, I never really got the Boba Fett stuff. But, um, yeah, I really liked this episode. Um the way that they played off uh, Tamora Morrison's uh, ethnic background with the the cudgels and the sticks and the stick fighting and the, the Maori stuff mm-hmm. that was brilliant. Um, the 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 verbal check back to his father's line in the prequels. Again, you know, I'm just a man making my way through the universe. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. So Absolutely. Uh, overall, but for me, as I said, you know, the reason they call this this episode the tragedy for me was when they blew up the race race across. <laughs> that was the tragedy, as far as I was concerned. So. <laughs> I assume the tragedy was the the abduction of Baby Yoda, right? Of little Grogu, but I assume so, yeah. But, but not yeah, <laughs> that's well, sure. And to me, it was the return of Boba Fett, so it should be called the triumph, not the tragedy. The other stuff happened, but Boba Fett was was there to kick butt, and he did, and it was just glorious. All right, Jim, your thoughts on the tragedy? Well, I, I know we're running short of time, so I'm going to let you have the bulk of the time on this episode. I mean, the 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 thing I loved about this was that. Uh, it, it was pretty much an episode that was nonstop action other yes. than them cutting to baby Yoda up on the top of the hill every once in a while, you know, meditating. Um, and I loved the fact that there wasn't much plot to this episode. It was very basic. It was, you know, Boba Fett shows up and says, I want my armor back. And <laughs> I my like, oh, I'm not going to give it to you. And then when, the the stormtroopers show up. It's like, oh well, actually, I will give it to you if you help me get out of the situation because it's not really important to me. So, uh, you know, I, but it it was like the previous episode where they had to give us a touchback to allies that Mando has because he's going to need a team later on, and, and the fact that they him. have to build this relationship with him and Boba Fett, and they have to reestablish a relationship with him and Fennec played by Ming-Na Wen, uh, you know, that's important for later on. So as a filler episode, it was great that they didn't spend a lot of time on it and they just gave us, you know, all out action for 40 minutes. It just shovels all that stuff. Like a, like a fountain. Yeah. I, um, I, 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 I know. I just, I, everything is kind of takes second place to Boba Fett is back in the armor in slave one. I mean, like all of us, he's, you know, put on a couple of pounds, but other than that, it's, oh, you know, now he's wearing like a turtleneck instead of the gray, you know, jumpsuit. But other than that, you know, and so uh, I, I, I I was just start to finish um, thrilled by it. The other thing I was going to mention is we find out Django Fett was a foundling, which gives, you know, basically Mando needed a reason to go along with Boba Fett, let him have the armor and everything, and that kind of gave him an out, and I thought that was that was fine. All right, so let's get to um, the last two. Chapter 15 is The Believer, which I... Is that referring to the Miggs Mayfeld character being yes. the Believer? All it, right. it has to. It has to, because the whole episode's about Good. him and the, the philosophical differences that 
people on the side of the empire had versus people on the side of the rebellion during the war. And, and I love that because they've done this several times throughout the show where they've questioned which side is right. And, you know, even though we all know that the empire was evil because it was being led by the emperor who was evil mm-hmm. and had evil mm-hmm. intent, the rest of the, you know, just day-to-day people that were a part of the empire, you know, whether it was the random stormtroopers or the technicians or whoever, like they weren't doing it because they were coerced. And it really has parallels, you know, to the the Nazis during World War II. And you, you start to question, well, were, were all of the Nazis evil? Um, were some of them just doing what they thought was right because they didn't know any better. And, and this does a great job. And the fact that uh, as much as the earlier episode was a throwback to Yojimbo and samurai movies and things like that, this is a almost, you know, shot for shot in some places remake of the wages of fear. And one of my favorite William Friedkin movies, sorcerer. Uh, I love the fact that, they oh, said, yeah. hey, we're going to put them on a truck that's going to explode if they don't get it where it needs to be. Yeah. Alan, yeah. Alan I got, I've got a couple of things to say about this one, but let me go ahead and get Alan's in, Alan thoughts in on it. Actually, uh, you, you just touched on it. I, again, you've been reading my notes. I've got Wages of Fear written down on my notes. Um, that, I think, great. Um, uh, again, it just touches that, uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of research recently about the early days of Nazi Germany in 1933 and you know, why why things came to happen and the power and, and people who, you know, where the normal, the regular German folks, how they, why they accepted it, how they accepted it, what, you know, stuff like that. You know, what about the, the guys who just served in the army and were pushing buttons and stuff and, you know, where did they fit within the whole ethics of it going on? It's all pretty deep stuff. And this really did touch on it too. Well, and for me, the other thing here is also that start of the fact that Mando's starting to switch allegiance from his religion to his feeling and connection to the child being more important to him than his culture. Mm-hmm. That he's prepared to take his helmet. You know, okay, the first time he takes the helmet off and gets changed, uh, and Mayfield mentions it, we don't see it. But then that piece in the canteen where, you know, it wants a facial recognition, and it's like you can see that moral quandary. And at the end of the day, it's like, no, finding the information I need to find baby Yoda is more important to me than my religion. And he takes the helmet off. I think that's a really huge moment in the series. Um, so I, I think it really works well for that. Um, and it was a great action piece too. With the, so. Oh yeah. The, the, all right. The one thing I got to say about it real quick, and then we'll get into, we'll finish up with the rescue. I had a problem with the pirates because they behave like freedom fighter slash terrorists. Pirates want to steal stuff. Freedom fighters slash terrorists want to blow stuff up. They want to blow stuff up, but yet they're pirates and we're not supposed to like them and we don't mind them getting shot and thrown off the vehicles. So are they pirates or are they freedom fighters or terrorists? I mean, it, it tried to basically play it both ways to fit the plot. And that I would, I have to be fair. If this had been like, a, um, what's his name that wrote Star Trek in the darkness? It, if he pulled that out, I'd have said he's lazy, and it's another example of bad shoddy writing to trying to fit the story 
you're shoehorning in. So I have to be fair here. They did the same thing, right? Because when they need them to be pirates so that you can shoot them, oh, they're pirates. But when they need them to, to try to blow up the vehicles and, and, and protect the villagers, oh, now they're, you know, they're protecting the villagers. So are they good? Are they bad? Are they, is it okay to shoot them? Is it bad that they got shot? That was never clear to me, and I don't think they had an answer. Well, and I think that was also maybe part of the point was the the whole episode is I think is meant for you as the viewer to question okay your your allegiances at time All because right. there there's one brilliant thing that they did in this episode is they're getting closer to the base and the the pirates the last wave of pirates is attacking them and you know Mando's kind of run out of weapons and and things to do to stop them and and they they're just exhausted all of their possibilities. And the TIE fighters swoop in and start picking off the pirates that are trailing them. And you get excited about the fact that TIE fighters have shown up. And it's like you're you're happy that the Empire's there. And That's you're true. not supposed to be. But they're saving the good guys. Yeah. And, and I think Mayfield even makes the point where he's like, you know, you, you haven't been happy to see you know, the empire like this, or you haven't been happy to see stormtroopers or, or whatever. And, and I think that's the point is you're supposed to question whose side everybody's on and what their reasoning is for it. That's good. Yeah. I, I, him even more than most, because I, I love that character and I love what Bill Burr has done in his appearances playing that part. And I hope we get more of him because he really does make you think about things like that. Yeah, I think the moral ambiguity actually really was the point of this move, this particular episode. Yeah, and it, it was. All right, in our let's see, we got nine minutes to do and wrap up the rescue. So lots and lots of stuff happened here. We've talked about a lot of it. So let me throw out a couple of things. Of course, um, we get the cool Boba Fett using Slave One to get them on board the. Uh, when they're in there, another one of those, sh- those shuttles do nothing but get hijacked, basically. <laughs> if I were the Empire and I saw one of those shuttles, I'd be like, I wonder what rebels or other non-desirables are, are flying at this time. Just blow it up out of hand, you know. Um, they get on board, and then we get the whole battle. We get the Dark Troopers. We get Mo- Moff Gideon, the betrayal of Moff Gideon. We get the the conflict over the Darksaber with, with uh, Bo-Katan. And then, of course, the whole... Um, the whole uh, Luke Skywalker showing up. And then in the post credit scene, we get the highlight of the entire season to me, <laughs> which is that we find out there is the book of Boba Fett, which is a book I would certainly like to have uh, with him and my other favorite, my favorite actress we're talking about, uh, Ming-Na Wen, coming up in December. So just on a scale of one to 10 for me, this episode was 75.9. Um, <laughs> all right. So Alan, go up first. Tell us about the rescue and your thoughts as we kind of wrap this up. Um, my first thing was, how the hell did they manage to keep all this secret? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that nobody let anything slip because when that X-Wing turned up and it's like, is that who I think it is? And then, as you said, the the guy with the, you know, gets out and it's like, it is. And then you see the gloved hand and it was like, we were just having this whole running conversation. Is that, <laughs> is that really? Oh, look, that clue, that clue, that clue. And then when the hood came down, um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Um, I'm going to pick up, there's so much to talk about, but I'm going to pick up what I talked about. One of the things I really liked about this is at the end, 
when Mando has the dark saber and Moff Gideon saying she can't take it and he's just trying to give it to Bo-Katan and she's like, no, I can't. And it's done that complete 180 where Mando is the one who is more open to new ideas and <laughs> is going to skirt around the things. And she's the one that's now hide by, by tradition and will not take it, mm. even though he just wants to give it to her. Um, so it, that, that whole thing between her taking the mickey out of Mando earlier on because of his strict religion has done a complete 180. I, I love that. I thought it was a really cool reversal uh, that they did through that. Um, there's so much in here. Huge revelations, sweet moments. Whoever knew that the reaction from a hand puppet could actually almost drive you to tears within just not saying a word, just just the little uh, movements in his face was great. Um, opens up a lot of questions for the future and where we're going with it. Um, I could, I think we could probably just talk about this episode for an hour. We could. Um, but obviously, which we, we were running short on time, I'm going to hand it over to you guys. But for me, this was... I'd say this was probably a, a 20 out of 10. I'm not quite a 75, but it was, it was up there. We may have to do a separate episode just about this episode. Yeah, go ahead, Jim. Yeah, because, I mean, th- there was so much that happened. And then, like Alan said, I mean, it, what happened set up so many other questions. Because, you know, the one thing that I kept thinking as they're having the conversation about the Darksaber is clearly there's going to be a fight between Mando and Bo-Katan at some point down the road. There has to be because she's on this quest to reestablish Mandalore and, and be the ruler of her people. And he doesn't want anything to do with the dark saber. So he's obviously going to try and figure out a way to give it back to her in combat, Hmm. but the combat has to be a legitimate fight or else it doesn't, it, it doesn't take so, you know, as they're having this conversation, I was like, ooh, when's that going to happen? Is that going to be season three? Yep. Is that going to be the end of season three? Or is it going to be season four or down the road? Like, how long are they going to string that out? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I was actually surprised that we we got at least an end point. I don't know that it's the end of Grogu's story with the, the Mandalorian, but he obviously is going off with Luke at this point. So there's going to be some separation between the two of them for a while, I would guess. And, you know, it makes you think, well, was is, is Grogu going to be training with Luke this whole time? Or is something going to happen because of where we know Luke ends up? Uh, it makes uh, you question where Grogu falls into this whole thing right. and, uh, and where he ends up. Um, so there were a lot of questions. Uh, I will tell you, as much as I know you loved the Boba Fett tag at the end, the one question I had was he he very quickly made his way through Jabba's palace, shooting people left and right. You know, that we get a great bit where he just shoots Bib Fortuna off of the throne and pushes needed, him out of the way. He needed shooting. <laughs> but he's been on Tatooine this whole time we assume, without his armor. So why is he just now getting around to reclaiming his armor and taking over what (laughs) used to be Jabba's criminal empire? Like, what has he been doing all of these years wandering the desert? He's been busy, man. Come on. He's been busy. He had things to do. It's all right. (laughs) Um, All right. I will say that the, the one thing that I kept thinking about is we saw Luke going through 
finding the dark troopers and making his way to the bridge of, of the Imperial ship was this anticipation of the reveal. I mean, we all knew that it was Luke, obviously, but were we going to get a, a Mark Hamill appearance? Was he going to stay cloaked? Was he going to say anything? Was he just coming to help them out of the jam and then leaving? You know, we didn't know any of that as it was unfolding. And so there was a part of me that was just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, this is cool. But is the CGI going to be good if they show him? Like, is it actually going to be Mark Hamill? Like, those are things that were still going through my head. And so the payoff of it was just as cool as the lead up to it because I thought they did it perfectly. I mean, Luke was Luke. He said what he needed to say and left. And and that was great. All right. Last All thing right, is last. last thing is a yes or no question for both of you. Alan, yes or no? Will Baby Yoda appear in more than one episode of season three? Yes or no? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Jim, will Baby Yoda appear in more than one episode of season three? Oh yeah, definitely. There, there's no way that he's not going to be in interesting multiple episodes. So he's I, not. I can't imagine. So we're not. Can't just, imagine with the merchandise that they yeah. have on tap for this character. He's not going to be gone for a whole I, year. I mean, he's a license to print money, but I'm still. It just seemed like they were saying his story was kind of at an end, and Mando was going to go off in a different direction. So we're going to have to bring him back. Okay, I hope so. I certainly hope so. All right, we're out of time, guys. Thank you so much, so much, so much for coming on and doing this. Like I say, we may have to do another show just to talk about the finale again in more depth, but I appreciate it Definitely. very much. And we're going to get on out of here. The Rocket's going to get out of here for another episode. We will see you guys down the road. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.